What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. And this week, I'm so excited because I'm switching things up instead of talking to somebody that I met on social media through personal finance brands or through a channel or some sort of like platform. I'm actually talking to a teacher who is a fellow educator through the NGPF community. And for those of you who know me and my work, you have been following me for a while, you know that NGPF is my full-time job. It's a nonprofit where I work to really promote personal finance education. So I'm so excited to have you today. And I'm going to call you by your first name, Vanessa, but I'm sure your students don't call you that. <laughs> but anyway, welcome to the show, <laughs> Vanessa. Thank you. Yeah. So my students would call me Mrs. Collins, but my name is Vanessa Silas Collins. And um, I'm a teacher at Hare Continuation High School in Garden Grove Unified School District, which is in Southern California in Orange County. So I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Um, I w- I'd love to know, like, I feel like California is one of the, the areas, the, the states specifically, that has the least personal finance. And it's one of the states that's the biggest and it needs it the most. So I'm always curious to know, like, how did you find out about NGPF and how did you get to a point where you actually start teaching personal finance in a state where it's not very common? So um, embedded in our economics uh, course standards, there is a standard on personal finance, but there's no uh, amount of time that's specified towards it. And there's no really, you know, specifics on how in depth to go. Um, so when I was tasked to teach economics at the high, at my high school where I teach now, I was pretty unfamiliar with economics other than my college courses. So I really had to learn a lot. And um, I just started to get, as I was researching more and more how to help my students, I saw that they were super engaged in the personal finance unit. And then um, luckily last, uh, when COVID happened, um, our district highlighted specific standards that they wanted us to focus on since it was gonna be difficult to get all the content through Zoom and virtually. And I was really happy to see that my district in particular really highlighted the personal finance standard as one of the first topics to teach because I think it makes economics so much more relevant. So yeah, that's just something that I have you know, it's maybe it's just like it was written in the stars, but I really feel mm-hmm. like teaching personal finance and showing kids the way to build your wealth is going to help for generations. It's something that is so necessary. Um, and although it isn't, you know, mandated in our state yet, I think that's the path forward. I mean, um, I, I really don't see any other option but to really try to focus on this because the kids are hungry for it. And, and we have a responsibility to teach them, to teach them that before they leave our high school. I totally agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. We do have a responsibility. And this next generation is, I'm, I'm really hoping that they champion this movement of like demanding it for themselves, because I feel like I didn't do that when I was their age, because I didn't understand. I didn't know what I didn't know. But nowadays it's, they're heightened aware, like their awareness is heightened because student loan debt crisis, because of everything happening with COVID and a lot of people needing support, stimulus checks went out. I mean, they, this generation is aware in a way that I don't think previous generations had the opportunity to really get that, that, you know, bright light on the fact that money is such a critical part of your life and getting educated about how money works is so, so important before you start making big decisions about college, about work, about life, about buying a house, a car, a credit card, anything like that. Like you really need the basics first. Absolutely. I totally yeah. agree with that. And um, and yeah, so I, I kind of fell into next gen with my coworkers who teach. We have a personal finance elective here 
at our campus, so it's not mandated. And so um, along with my teachers that teach that class in economics, we kind of make sure not to hit the same topics. Um, so we use the next gen uh, topics to supplement our lessons that we already had um, or to talk about topics that maybe we didn't have that much knowledge on. And so it's just such a nice free, free resource, which for teachers is like, ding, ding, ding. It's just so awesome. <laughs> the best part about it for, for us here is that because we are on a one-to-one -one ratio technology wise, a lot of the lessons are already in Google format. Mm -hmm. And so I can tailor them to myself. I can choose what works for my kids and what doesn't. And, right. and it's just so easy to navigate covers almost any topic I can think about, even like they're always supplementing with new lessons, new trainings for teachers. And it's just like, it's honestly been so helpful um, for our personal finance units here. Awesome. I love that. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just one of the things like where you work all day, every day on this one thing and you finally get to hear people say your work is really helpful. <laughs> so I love that. Um, so I've been doing Matters. this podcast for, I've been doing this podcast for a little bit over a year. And I started in the middle of the pandemic because I found myself like going a little crazy by myself in my apartment, just doing my own content, doing my own work by myself, making videos. And I was like, I'm such a social person. I feel like if I don't meet other people, talk to other people and socialize, I might go a little berserk. So I decided like networking is really, you know, uh, an easy way to socialize. It also has, a, you know, a bit of um, a kind of like a two birds with one stone because it's socializing, but I'm also expanding my network professionally as well. And so I kind of started just inviting a lot of women that I was um, admiring at the time that are in the financial space. And since it has really grown to over 50 plus episodes of conversations with so many different women in the financial space, telling their stories. But I, one thing I always do every time, and uh, you know, of course, we'll, we'll get to your story to learn more about your personal story. But one of the things I always like to do is start with regrets and times that you splurge but you don't regret it because those two things I feel like we don't talk enough about like you know yes sometimes we make mistakes and we should just put them out there for other people to be like oh you see I'm not the only one and you know we're all human and we have regrets and that's okay but there's also going to be times where we spend a lot of money and we won't regret it and we have to understand that like it's okay to spend too right but because it's going to be things that you value and that are worth it for you so let's start with the regret the thing that you really wish you had never done a big amount of money that you wish you could take back and then after that, we'll get to the splurge that was worth it for you. Growing up um, with a scarcity mindset, which, you know, I don't know how familiar everybody is with that, but growing up, when you, when you grow up in a low-income household, I feel like once you get that first job and you get some of your own money rolling in, you have the urge to treat your inner child with all these things that you weren't <laughs> able to get. And so that's something that I really fell into really young, like, let's, let's go out to eat. This is amazing. You yeah. know, I could get whatever I want. Um, like a jacket that was a hundred dollars, no problem. I, and then, you know, every time, you know, I would get, I would run out of money way before my next paycheck came. And so then I'd start charging things up, but I'm like, you were talking, I, I'm a big believer in things that in thinking that everything happens for a reason. And so there's a particular trip. I remember my sister was really depressed or about something. And I was like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take her on a trip to Ireland and we're going to like bond, charge it up on my credit card <laughs> because I didn't have the money up front. And so, I mean, we, we had a good time, but I just remember every day of the trip, I was like, I was feeling 
that guilt that comes with spending money that you don't have. And so while I was trying to live in the moment, enjoy this time with my sister, at the same time, I knew that I was digging my hole deeper and deeper. And so um, I think a lot of the times, like something I wish I would have learned early on is that you enjoy things a lot more when you've like really worked hard for it and earned it. And um, rather than doing it and then paying for it later, because you're not really enjoying it if, if you haven't like really, you know, paid for it. So that's my that's biggest true. regret. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There were times where I was spending money that I did not have. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, like, how am I going to pay these bills later? Like I'm going to have, I'm going to really be struggling for a couple months to just, just to pay for this three day or four day trip. Like it's you, you, it hits you while you're trying to enjoy yourself, but you can't really, because you know that what you're doing doesn't really make sense. And you know, then it kind of catches up with you later um, as well. So it, it can cause financial anxiety, financial stress. And there's so many negative aspects to pretending like everything's okay when you know that it's not. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I absolutely agree. And I know like so many people that have come to me and messaged me and said, when I finally paid off my credit card debt, increased my credit score and saved up my emergency fund, taking that first trip or spending, splurging the first time, it had zero guilt, zero guilt. And it was so amazing to know that I planned this. I worked hard to get myself in a position where I can do this and it doesn't hurt me later. And to know that when I go back home, I'm not going to have to like figure out a way to pay for this because it's already paid. Like those feelings are the opposite of like the, you know, the times where you go and you know, you don't have a plan. So I definitely yeah. relate to that. Yeah. And I, uh, I kind of, you know, piggybacking off of that, I kind of grew up in the age where Facebook just came out. And so it was mm -hmm. the first time, you know, that you're exposed to all these people's experiences and you're like, oh my gosh, I should be doing that, right? I'm, right. you know, whatever, 25, 26, however old I was, I should be, you know, traveling the world. And I really had no idea what those personal people's financial situation was. They, <laughs> you know, I, I still don't and I never will. And that's the right. point that we have to kind of notice is that only compare yourself to yourself. What makes you feel healthy financially and because that goes along with mental and physical health and so that's why it's so important that. yeah absolutely love that that's so true They're, they call that the uh, vertical expansion of your reference group where before you used to compare yourself to your friends at school and your neighbors on your blog but now you can compare yourself to Beyonce, Ariana Grande, Kim Kardashian, and Rihanna, who are, you know, yeah. multimillionaires and not billionaire. I mean, Rihanna's a billionaire. You can't do that. You can't compare yourself to these people where you're not in the same lane and it's just not fair to you to do that to yourself. So I, I definitely uh, second that. Uh, okay, what about on the flip side? Uh, something that you splurged on, but you don't regret it and it was so worth it for you. On the flip side, um, my biggest splurge that I'm still very happy about is my house. Um, so... Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of different views on on purchasing homes. I, I don't believe in forcing anybody to purchase or to rent either way. Um, right. It was something that I grew up, you know, we always lived in an apartment or like a little house and uh, I mean, like a little apartment. And so I always was like, oh, wow, like if I'd go over to a friend's house with a house, it was like, oh, my gosh, it, it was just something that was a dream. to me. It really was a dream to me, to my mom. And so. I think it was January 2020, my husband and I, uh, we found a house in Santa Ana, California, which is really, you know, we were thinking of moving out of state or something, but it's the first place that kind of felt like home. It's a, there's a big Latino community. Um, it's close to both of our jobs. 
And we found this single story house that we just were like, that's, you know, sometimes you dream about that kind of stuff. And it was like the place. And it actually, um, it was just like a blessing because uh, a few months later, we found out that my mom had a uh, stage four lung cancer and um, she, uh, she, you know, we needed to move her in and we needed to move my sister in. And it was a place where she was comfortable. It was a single story. We could like move the wheelchair around. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, un- unfortunately we just lost my mom in June, but that house has like, you know, I want to get too emotional, but it was, mm-hmm. it was something that was very worth it. And I feel like, um, you know, she knew I always had that dream of having a house and having my family all together. And so um, just my point is, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. If there's something that you really want, it could be something physical. um, And it's something that you want to work hard towards. There there should be no guilt or shame in the way that you do it. And, um, And it's something that we continue to work hard on somewhere that I can see myself until I grow old and so I have zero regrets on that big big splurge (laughs) that's so beautiful well I'm so sorry for your loss of your mommy that is definitely so hard but I think it's so beautiful that she was able to see you do the home ownership dream that you you know have always wanted that she necessarily couldn't do for you when you were growing up but she was able to live in it and witness it and be with you as a part of that before she went on so I think that that's actually a really beautiful way for her to have been able to spend her final time was you know with you in that house in, in a way that allowed you to show her that all the hard work of raising us, all the hard work we put in, listen, I was able to do it and get this dream and and now you can be here too. So I, I love that story. I, even though it had a little bit of a sad sentimental component, it was very, it was a really nice story too. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about your work because as an educator, I feel like a lot of times you're in the trenches and other people love to have an opinion about teachers and their role and the work in education. It's like, listen, you are not in the trenches. You don't get to say anything. And, and even me, I feel like, cause I've been removed from the classroom a couple of years already. But when mm-hmm. I was in the classroom, I was constantly getting people's opinions when I would go out and say, oh yeah, I'm a teacher. You know, everybody has something to say about teaching and education, but as an educator, you're in the thick of it. And I, you know, I know like you have your opinions about like, you know, it should really be required in California that students learn personal finance but right now it's it's not widely included we only see like you know seven eight states actually now that um nebraska just passed a new law eight states having that guaranteed access for every kid before high school so what do you think i mean you've been in the school system you're working with students what do you what's your take about why it's not included as much as it should be so i thought about this question a lot and um i think it's kind of a it's there's a couple of reasons i think number one money for some reason, I mean, I think we're all just kind of figuring this out, has been a taboo subject for so long. People are very private about it, whether it be because they're ashamed or because they have found success and they don't want, you know, people to maybe know about how they got there. But for some reason, it's a really uncomfortable topic for people. And so I think, um, you know, that's part of the issue is that um, maybe we just haven't expressed our need for it as much. And I know that's probably frustrating to people like you that I've been trying to get the word out for a long time, but <laughs> the fact is, you know, um, you know, a lot of people don't really ask too many questions about it. Um, although I could guarantee you any parent out there is going to want their kid to get financial education. If they find out, you know, what kind of a, a of a change it could have in the trajectory of that's their true. kid's future. 
Um, but another thing is, I mean, you know, education, like any public system has a lot of bureaucracy and, um, you know, things pop up that take precedent over, um, you know, standards and, and all that kind of stuff. And so right. that's another part of it is, is there is a lot of navigation with laws and all kinds of things that every state has to take into consideration. Although I still think it's something that we still need to push for. Um, but I also think, and, and maybe this is true for most subjects, but if, unless you have an educator that is passionate about the subject and that has walked the walk and talked the talk, especially when it comes to finances, it's really hard for students to buy in. So we really need educators that are well-trained and not only well-trained, but honest about their financial journey. I'm not talking about telling the kids numbers, but really just, you know, hey, this was my journey and, and I'm still working on it. Maybe I'm not, you know, where I feel I'm at a place of financial peace, but um, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going. These are some healthy habits that you can, you can practice with money. And so I think it really, you know, that's another thing that we're going to have to, you know, as a country kind of look forward to is how are we going to get educators that are both passionate about this and that practice what they're teaching, because that's the biggest disconnect there. If you're not practicing, you can talk and lecture all you want, but the kids aren't really going to connect with it until they see your, your fire light up, you know? Yep, that's so true. And I think there's different ways to do it because I feel like that does put pressure on teachers of like, wait, so I have to walk the walk and talk the talk, but like my finances are kind of a little messy too. Like it's not, it's not fair that I have to be perfect to teach this class, like perfect with money. And I, and I don't think that that's the case at all. Like when I, when I was first starting out, I think the, one of the biggest things that made me, uh, my message resonate with people was me admitting like, listen, I have made every mistake and I wish that I could go back and fix, you know, not, not do what I did with credit cards, you know, pay more co close attention to my credit score, save a small percentage of the checks that I was earning while I was in school. Like just talk about the things that we didn't do, the things that where we're not at right now, where we wish we were, that we maybe could have been if we had learned earlier, if we had known sooner and, and, and like show the students, right? Like put a chart up on the screen and go, if I, you know, right now I'm, Let's say I'm, I'm 54. If I had done this when I was 24 or when I was 18, today I would have this much money. But instead, you know, I have much less. Like I'm not, I don't have to necessarily tell you how much I have, but I can tell you that I'm not, I'm not there. And the reason why is because I took too long to start, but you don't have to make the same mistake that I made. You could make sure that when you're my age, you can have that much or more as long as you start early and, and kind of pay attention to these basic rules and, um, and like, you know, just kind of know the basics of personal finance. So I don't, I don't want teachers to think like there has to be this, you have to be like the perfect model when it comes to finances to show them the way. Well, you know, I think a lot of times you can actually be pretty raw with them and tell them what you haven't done too, so that they can be like, oh, wow, look, you know, like she keeps it real or he keeps it real. And I appreciate that honesty. And they, they like authenticity. The next generation, students in general, children, teenagers, preteens, they can smell when you're being inauthentic, they sniff it on you and they know right away. And it's, it makes, it's like off-putting, right? It makes them feel like this person's class isn't as fun as the other, you know, teachers who are really down to earth and keep it real. So I think that actually helps to be honest about your yes. situation. Yeah, it, it totally does. It's, um, and that's when they really, you know, perk up and pay attention and you know, I always tell them what I did with my first paycheck. I went and spent it all at Abercrombie and Fitch when I was, <laughs> and, you know, and, 
and then just kind of lived almost in perpetual debt for, you know, maybe years. seven, eight years That's right. um, until, until, you know, um, well, I guess I'll talk about it in a little bit, but yeah, until things yeah. kind of And it's so common. I think the key too is to tell the students, listen, and if let's say you are like the perfect star model of financial, you know, responsibility, great. Tell them like, I've been lucky and I've done everything by the book and I can retire in three years. And the reason why is because I did this, this, and this, and that, and I want you to follow the same. And if yes. you're not that perfect star, you know, financially responsible model, great. Well, it's fine. Just use your example to either way. Like, I don't think it really matters where you are in relation to them. The point is to show them that most people don't do the the kind of like financially savvy path starting at a young age they make all the mistakes and then by the time they learn they're like oh I wish I could have done things differently sooner you know so I think it's it's good to kind of position yourself like against the average person and say like well I kind of did things the way most people do and learned the school of hard knocks or like I'm the lucky one and I actually got things together early on and I teach because I love this but I don't have to I can retire today and it's fine like I think that they can relate to any story as long as it's kind of showing them that most people do things this way and us you know really smart thing to do is to kind of get ahead of the ball get ahead of the game yeah, I totally agree. Like you don't have to be a, a, you know, I guess, yeah, you don't have to have some tragic story to have led you. Anybody could be a leader. You just have to believe that, that we can do this. We can teach the next generation how to, you know, be successful from the get-go. Um, yeah. And that starts yeah. with an early education. Definitely. So in terms of like your class, you, you have a very limited amount of time with them the you know the bell rings time is so tight you have a scope and sequence you have to get through things of course there's like days off and all these different things in the school year that just uh, it can really throw things throw a wrench in your in your plan so if you have to make sure that before the school year ends you have these three things that you want to make sure no matter what these are the three lessons I always make sure to impart on my students what would those like top three key lessons be yeah so um my first lesson that I always open up with is uh, we use a uh, credit card, inter uh, an interest calculator. And so I let them go on a shopping spree for $5,000. We do like a fake shopping spree <laughs> and I have them put down, okay, if I, if, you, if I let you guys spend $5,000, what would be the items that you would buy? They list the price and then they're having fun. You know, they're like, oh yeah, comparing what they're buying. And then, you know, the reality sets in when we do the next part of the project, which is to run an, uh, you know, a credit card calculator to see if you're only making the minimum payments. It, I think we use the bank rate one or something. There's, there's all different ones that you can use, but yeah. um, it shows them in years how long that that splurge will take them to pay off. And then we do, we do a model where what if we pay a little bit more than the minimum and then, you know, and then yeah. they can see how it can shave down the time. And so because I got into so much credit card trouble when I was younger, I just think that that is one of the most impactful lessons. They're always super surprised. And I always tell them, Hey, share this with your families, share this with your friends, just sh show them how to run this little calculator. And before you, you start doing that, and even the little purchases are the ones that you can get carried away with too, you know, that's so, right. They add up. So I tell them, you know, we do that. And I think that one really sticks with them. Another that. one uh, would be um, automating and investing for the future. So automating your savings, automating your retirement money, whatever 
whatever you want to save up for, whatever goals you have, whatever you see in your future, just kind of taking a look down the road. Where are you trying to go? How can you make that easy for yourself? Because there's been, you know, I do believe in budgeting and I do teach that lesson. It's not one of my top three because of this. Um, habits and looking at budgets is, is, a, is a difficult thing to maintain. And, and there's budget people. I'm not a budget person. We're like in my family, we're like automate and then we deal with the rest. So the rest, it yeah. can work for some people, maybe not. But the big thing that I try to tell them is automating um, because that's what has really helped my family grow our wealth is making sure that we take care of paying yourself, as they say, pay yourself first, and then kind of living off the rest. And so automation and investing in their retirement plans is a big, That's huge. And then the, the third topic, uh, the third topic is kind of um, newer, I guess, in the personal finance world, but just getting in touch with the psychology of money. Yes. You know, knowing wants versus needs. I mean, that's something that we kind of need to get into the habit of why am I desiring this item? And, and it's okay to desire items, but really just kind of thinking, um, you know, is it because somebody near me has it and I just want the same thing? Or is it something that's going to add value to my life? Um, and so I try to really get, we do a lot of uh, little assignment, not a lot. We do a few assignments where they really get in touch with their wants versus needs. And, um, and that just really kind of helps, I think, sort out what you really should be spending your, your time and money on. And so yeah. that's an important topic that I think, and, and, you know, like I said, budgeting is super important too, but there's like a lot of stuff, like I just watched a Paula Pant um, episode the other day where she was talking about the um, the psychology of, of habits and how it's really hard for people to keep habits. And so really right. a lot of the times, the easier you can make it like by automating things, um, it's just more successful than somebody just trying to start budgeting, you know, cause like I've yeah. made budgets all the time. I don't really, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I'll be the first one to say like my husband kind of handles the budgeting part of it because I'm just bad at it. I'm really good at automating and looking at our accounts and I watch the growth and stuff. And I love that part about it. But um, so, so those are the three credit card debt, automating and investing for your future and thinking about the psychology of money. Why, why are you desiring? Yeah, I love those three. And I love that you listed Paula Pant too, as a reference, because she's the kind of like the queen of the anti-budget, right? Like on affordanything.com, which is where she has her blog and her podcast. Um, she has a post from many years ago. Like when I first started thinking about like, you know, finances and stuff like in 2015, 2016, after I was, you know, posting content and like really getting a handle of my own situation, I found a blog post that she had about the anti-budget. She calls it the anti-budget, which is really what you described, where you automate the, the, the scraping off the top, the amount of money that you need for the things that you know you have to prioritize. So bills, you know, uh, investments, you know, your retirement contributions, investing for future goals, savings for an emergency fund, anything, you know, that you owe to anybody, payments that are due, everything comes out right off the top. And if there's $52 left, then you do whatever you want with those $52 and you do not have to budget out. Okay, $12 is for this, $10 is for that, the other $30 for that. Like you don't have to do that because you literally just need to make sure you don't waste more than $52 and you'll be good. So I, I, I like that idea. And I feel like a lot of people 
who are not budget people who like don't like the like consistent routine of being super disciplined with a budget every single week, every single month, they could actually really benefit from seeing both um, model, like the, the strict budget yeah. model and the anti-budget model, and then choosing the one that speaks to them. Because there's going to be a lot of OCD people or like annual retentive yeah. people that are going to be like, I need to do the strict budget that speaks to my soul. And there's going to be mm. plenty of other people that are going to be like, I'm good. I'm going to do the, the anti-budget kind of method. And that works for me. And guess what? You can still build wealth that way, which is your point that you've been able to do that with your family, which is a beautiful thing. Um, so I absolutely, I think that that's amazing, especially as a Latina. Hello, this episode is actually one of the ones that's going to be featured in my um, uh, Latinx Heritage Month series or Hispanic Month Heritage Month series. And I'm really just highlighting Latina voices. I have had plenty of Latinas on the podcast, but this specific month, I'm going to only have episodes highlighting Latina stories because I want people to see that they're so different. There's so many different ways that we represent the community, that we ha handle finances, that we approach life and our lifestyles, and that that's beautiful, that we need to celebrate and honor all of those voices and approaches. Um, so, I mean, that being said, I would love to learn a little bit more about your background as a Latina, uh, totally on the opposite coast as me. <laughs> I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast. But either way, there's so many challenges that we're going to face being Latinas. We have to overcome so many things. And our, even though our culture is rooted in resilience, I know that, you know, we still have to, you know, kind of talk about the struggles and help other people recognize that, you know, sometimes this is part of our story, but, you know, you, you can actually have it be part of your financial journey and still move to a place of, you know, um, financial security and financial independence. So tell us a little bit about your financial journey, your personal story, and how you got yeah. to a place of financial stability uh, for yourself and for your family. I was raised by a single mom. My, my parents are both from Argentina and they immigrated <laughs> here in the early, early 80s, because I was born in 1983 already here. Um, but so I'm a first generation American. Um, my mom did everything from being a nanny, cleaning houses, cleaning hospitals. And she just, you know, have, having three children all to herself, um, you know, she was always working multiple jobs. And as much as she probably wanted financial security for us, you know, we just with one income and three kids, it was really hard. So I do have memories of yeah. us being on food stamps, Section 8 housing, um, free reduced lunch all my life. And, mm -hmm. and it was a, a stigma for me. I grew up in South Orange County. It was something that I felt embarrassed about. I felt embarrassed about my culture. I felt, and it's so sad because it's a very rich culture. And at home, I was very proud and I was very, you know, it helped my mom cook and, and everything. But um, it was something that I kind of like would, kind of just shut down at school yeah. and um, but I always remember watching my mom's work ethic and you know even if she was at a, a job that was you know cleaning toilets she found a way to move up like I remember she worked at a hospital and I remember one day she came I'm so proud that she like applied for a job in the administration administration because she spoke Spanish and they really needed like a bilingual yeah. person there and so I would watch her kind of grow and you know she never really got to go back to school very much because she was raising us but just watching her work ethic taught me you know that hard work is is expected and, it, and it's something that we really need to do um but she couldn't give me those financial lessons i just remember you know a lot of stress growing up she'd be on the phone with bill people for hours trying to get things reversed charges reversed um 
you know, in, in debt or just paycheck to paycheck. I remember I used to get anxiety if I had to ask for money for school for something, Mm -hmm. not that she would get upset, just like, I didn't want to add more stress to her plate. And so, and so a lot of those lessons, I think you kind of just, you know, you, you, you continue the way that you were raised. And so, like I said, when I, when I started getting those first jobs, I had that scarcity mindset. And so I kind of was like, you know, I, my way of coping with it was to over-purchase on things or spoil my mom. Like her birthday would come and I would spend like my whole paycheck on trying to make her feel happy, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think that, and a lot of my students are like that, uh, you know, they, yeah. anything they get, they want to give back to the family. And, um, right. and so that's, that's how I was. Um, and I, I continued that trajectory until my mid twenties, really, of just constantly like kind of pleasing myself now, but paying for it later. And it was something yeah. that I knew deep down I wasn't happy with. And um, you know, sometimes people cross your path for a reason. I still, I think when I met my husband, I must have been ready for a change because I was open to learning new things. And he kind of, once we moved in together, I remember he he told me one night, like, okay, hey, tomorrow we're going to talk about our budget. And I remember I couldn't sleep that night. I was so stressed out. I mean, like I had known him for, you know, a year or something, but I was like, oh boy, like this is the first time somebody's going to see the real me, you know? And so right. I was nervous. And so we, um, we sat down to do our budget and I had, I think maybe 11,000 in student loan debt, maybe 6,000 in credit card debt from that Ireland trip that I took with my sister. And, uh, <laughs> And, you know, it was like, here it is, you know, and, and he wrote down like, you know, the budget, it was a whole budget thing, but what I didn't realize, which was kind of the silver lining of all this is he was like, what's this account over here? Like, I was like, oh, that's like my retirement account that I opened at Costco whenever, when I was 21. And he's like, that's amazing. It was like, I think I was 27 or so when we did this budget. And I think there was like already a hundred thousand dollars in there. And I didn't even consider that before because I was like, somebody told me not to even ever look at that because, you know, you were a lot of people that I had been at, you know, the company with had cashed it out to buy a house or cashed it out to do this or that. And somebody random once had told me, Hey, you get taxed a bunch of money if you do that. And so I was just like, okay, I'm never going to touch that then. And so I didn't even know that I was building my wealth because I was so focused on my debt and being embarrassed about it and not knowing how to, how to conquer the debt. And so that night, you know, we kind of hashed out a plan with, he wasn't my husband yet at the time, but we, we're going to get rid, we're going to plug away at the student debt. We paid that off. Um, then we paid off my credit card. I think we did credit card debt first because it had a higher interest rate than we did that one. And then, and then we both kind of, cause he didn't have a retirement plan at the time. We both kind of had this epiphany, like, Whoa, this thing grew x amount while you were even in debt and so from that moment on we were like hyper focused on maxing out our retirement accounts yes. and that's that's when we kind of just took a different path and we 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 saved up a good emergency fund i think we do 6 months everybody has their own yeah. um, method yeah. but yeah. but that was really the that was the enlightening part of my journey was having that honest talk you know sometimes it's like you just have to face your fear once you do it it's yeah. not so scary anymore you know once you once you have that. And so, um, so yeah, that was, uh, the big, and all it took, this is why I, I had this like vision of changing my community is all it took 
to make a huge difference in my life was for somebody to sit down and have me start a 401k and then somebody else to sit down and say, Hey, let's look at your debt. How are we going to crush this? And simple things, you know, and that's why I think a lot of people are afraid to get on their financial journey, but it's really just these, these decisions that you make just once really, and it can change your, your, your path. That's so true. And oftentimes, and the thing is, is sometimes it doesn't even feel like a decision because some people don't, they don't make a choice. They just don't do anything. And so then it's like, if you don't do anything, you're essentially choosing not to take part in that plan, in that 401k plan. Right. So by not doing anything, you're essentially opting out. And so, so you have to make a, an active decision to opt in. Otherwise nothing happens. And I think that's the hard part because there aren't a lot of, um, workplaces that really encourage you, teach you, kind of take your hand and help you understand the, the, the retirement plan benefits if they do offer them. And then the reality is for the Latino community that a lot of the types of jobs that are um, the first wave of immigrants and the second wave of immigrants end up doing are going to be just jobs that are hourly wage jobs, not salary full, um, you know, blue collar, white collar type jobs. And so then what happens is they don't always get access to the 401k plan because of the type of jobs that they're working. And so then it's like, oh, so you don't even have access to, to a 401k, which makes it really easy. So that means you're going to have to do it on your own, which is not impossible. It's not extremely difficult, but it is a little harder than doing the 401k paperwork, which they do everything after you submit the papers versus the IRA. You kind of have to do more uh, work on your own. You have to like, you know, open the account. You have to choose your investments and you have to fund it. I mean, it's more work than the 401k. So I, I, I love that story of like, you, you started building wealth and you didn't even really know. And it was because you auto, kind of like back to your automation point, like you just automated it working at Costco so many years, every paycheck, boom, 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 it adds up. And then next, thing you know, you're like, oh, wow, look, that happened while I was just living my life. You know, the account grew. And while I was Something I, I do share with my students. I don't like to share too much personal stuff, but this is the one account that I show them because it's from a job that I haven't worked there in, I don't know, eight years or something. I show them, you know, how much I invested. My first paycheck that they took was $46. And then all I ever put of my own money was 40,000 because they did a company match and stuff. And so I show them because they have, you know, T. Rowe Price or whatever company you use, they have these charts that show every contribution and then where Mm -hmm. it's at. And that's the one lesson that they're just blown away because I only ever put $40,000 in there. I stopped working there in like 2013 and that account is now over $250,000 alone. And so I'm like, this is the, con- this is the beauty of compound interest, you know, and that's, you know, another lesson I teach them, but, but that's something that is so easy to show people an example of, you know, this is yes. what, this is what you can grow by, by taking money out before it hits, you know, your paid before you see your net, you know, paycheck. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that was just probably one of the most life-changing parts of my financial journey. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that sounds like uh, such an incredible experience to also sit down with your partner and be able to uncover all of that together and then incorporate it in your plan for your future. Like, I think that that's, you know, one of the things that couples rarely ever do. You know, you 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 get engaged and you still haven't talked about finance. Like, how are you engaged to someone and you don't know what, who they owe money to, how much they owe, what interest rates they pay, if they have that, if what their net worth is, how much they make. I mean, this is really common that there's couples that just literally go through 
to the point where they're about to get married in a couple of weeks and they still haven't sat down to even ask each other, what's your credit score? And, and you know, things like it, it, it's really, it's heartbreaking. It's so like difficult for me to understand because I'm like at a point where I learned about money in my early twenties. And once I got into a serious relationship, I was like, sir, what's your credit score? Yes. How many credit cards? Like, I was like, I was not playing. I was like, I got I have a test for you. It's a written exam. You have to submit it to me before we can go on our second or third date. So here's the exam. Like, I was like, I'm just very serious. Like, obviously that's a joke, but like being very yeah. adamant about asking and talking about money openly early on in the relationship, that was important to me personally. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I guess my husband was more like you and I, and I was more like, <laughs> oh, what do we do? But, um, but no, in reality, I mean, just being honest about finances, that's such a huge, um, load off of, of, of a couple stress when you guys are forming yeah. a team together and everybody's on the same page. Some people don't want to merge their finances. That's fine. But just being kind of honest about this is where I'm headed. Um, I yeah. want you on board. Building your team is, is kind of the way that we think about it in our marriage. And, and, you know, we're going to bring our children into it soon when they're old enough, but just, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to build generational wealth for, for coming for the future, right? Not just thinking about the now, but how, how are we going to, you know, and, and not only that, but we grow wealth also to be able to give back. And I mean, that's another thing that we need to talk to is like a lot of people have a stigma about wealthy people um, or, yeah. you know, however it may be, but we need to change the dialogue there. You know, how can we grow wealth to give back to our community or whatever you believe in the environment, poverty, um, the, this is a tool that you can use to make more of an impact, right? Instead of yes. just talking about it or, you know, we, sh we can also volunteer time, but really to make a financial impact to those causes that we believe in, we have to grow our wealth in our community. Um, we have to, we have to, you know, start to really um, think about these things intentionally. Um, and, and, and so that's another thing that kind of brings your family together, having a vision of, of where you guys want to give back. Absolutely. I mean, there's two things that come to mind. One is like, when you want to create change, either at an organizational level, at a systemic level, if, if, and if it's in your community where you go to present like an idea to change something drastically, if you say, I have 10,000 hours to donate towards this change versus somebody who says, I have $10,000 to donate towards this change, which one do you think is going to be more likely to convince the, the, you know, the stakeholders who are the decision makers to actually consider making that change? Is it going to be your, your, your time that you can offer them or, or the resources, the financial resources that you're able to offer them to actually make this implement the change and make the change happen? And it's not that you should think of money as a tool to bribe people, but it is really an agent for change more so than things that people think are equal to financial uh, resources. Like, oh, well, if you don't have the financial resources, you can donate time. Yeah, that's true. But at a certain point, you recognize that time is going to fall short of, you know, being that kind of tool that really moves the needle. And the people with money tend to be the ones that have that power or influence over change that they want to see happen. And, um, there's, uh, there's this really um, prominent uh, tech guy from Silicon Valley, and I'm forgetting his name. He was one of the first early folks at Facebook. And I, I remember seeing his Google talk where he said the reason that ever since he was, he's like a, the child of, of Indian immigrants. He said ever since he was a kid, he knew that he wanted to be super rich. And the reason why was because he, there were so many things that he believed needed to change about his community and his country. And he knew that the only way to create that change was to pay for it to happen. 
And, and, and that's literally what he does with his money. He's like creating funds for innovation. He's like creating um, companies that like, you know, solve certain problems through, through tech, with apps, through, you know, different uh, A-B testing. And, and his money is literally funding innovation that he wants to see so that he can see the change that he wants to create. And his money is the tool to, to, to do that. So I, I agree that I think your point is so powerful about stop thinking about money as such a negative thing, that rich people are evil, that rich people have power and control, and actually step into saying, well, what if I had access to money and that gave me power and control? How could I use that for good? And what, what good could come of you know, me having financial resources that I could then you know, help, help uh, support whatever uh, causes I think need to, need to be supported? Yeah. And you know, that's big too, for like thinking about when you pass away one day, even if you don't have children, that doesn't mean that you're not going to leave a mark. You know, you, you, you're, you're thinking about the world in general in the future, not just your own, but you know, what, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave behind? And so that's another conversation that I think, you know, we need to think about when we're talking about growing our wealth as well. Yeah, I love that. No, I know that you mentioned that your mom um, was a single mom and that you had a lot of like lack growing up in the house that was a lot of struggle. But do you recall any early money lessons that you did have that like helped you navigate later um, later on in your financial journey? Um, and then and then you know what were the ones that you really kind of figured out on your own? I mean, credit was one of them, obviously, with your credit card spending. That's similar to me. But any of the other steps in the journey, like paying for college or, or navigating taxes or figuring out insurance or buying your first home, like what were the things you felt like? Okay, my house kind of actually did give me a little bit of a lesson in this, and the rest I had had to kind of figure it out as I went. Yeah, so some things I think I kind of circled back to, so I maybe got away from things that I learned when I was younger, and then I got, I'm getting back to them now. So one thing, uh, growing up, my mommy always cooked dinner for us, you know, I mean, that's all we can afford. We couldn't afford to go out. Every night we had a meal together and we sat down, and that's something that has really stuck with me, you know, having a regular dinner time with my family, and um, and it's also helped with our budget. So like we... Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm not much of a budgeter, but I do limit the times we eat out. So I we pick yeah. a, let's only eat out two times this week or whatever is realistic for you. You know, it's going to be different yeah. for everybody. But for us with kids, getting them to a restaurant or whatever is hard. So we just have said two nights a week, we'll order a pizza or whatever and kind of stick to that and stick to those home-cooked meals, whatever it may be. A lot of eggs, a lot of like that, you know, just nutritious stuff that you can get without blowing your budget and 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 that's totally you know subjective because everybody's in a in a total different spot but that's something that's stuck with me cook at home eat at home (laughs) Um, and then um you know my mom really prided herself on her credit score so even though money was tight just kind of making sure that you're paying your bills on time um something that really that's something that stuck with me and um it was something that she really was proud of and so I remember like being 18, 20, like even with my credit card debt, sometimes I would try to like raise my score and I go, oh, mommy, like, look what my credit card uh, credit score is now, you know? And so that's something that I, that I, I took to heart growing up is pay your bills on time and, um, you know, cook at home. <laughs> and that's such uh, an easy one, right? Because like you, you might uh, rack up your credit cards, right? But if you keep paying your, your minimum at the very least every month on time, when you eventually do come across money and, and get your financial situation together, you can aggressively pay that credit card down and have an excellent credit score instantly. 
because utilization is actually one of those bigger factors that help boost your credit score really fast as long as you pay down your debt right away. But if you miss a payment, you can't go back in time and erase that missed payment. So it always stains your record and hurts your credit for, for, many, you know, for years and it doesn't just go away. So I think it's actually a really a, a great thing for parents to emphasize, just pay your bills on time every month, even if they don't necessarily mention some of these other things, like don't rack up your credit card, you know, because those things you can actually fix pretty easily if you come across money, you can side hustle, you can do whatever you got to do, attack that debt and fix that problem instantly, whereas you can't you can't fix the, the late payments on your record. That's something you can't go back in time and change. Yes. So thank you, mommy, for that lesson. <laughs> um, and then I can't remember the second part of your question. It was like something. Oh, so stuff that you figured out kind of like on your own because you, you really didn't get those lessons imparted. Yeah. So things that I figured out on my own is just like learning where is my 401k money going? You know, like mm. trying to trying to educate yourself. Like if you don't understand something, I mean, we live in the age of information that's there's negatives and, and there's positives about it. And the, the positives about it is that there's so many amazing books. And if you don't like to read books, there's social media accounts you can follow. I mean, there's, there's so much available to learn more about all the options that you have. And, um, and I think just like index funds has been a game changer for, for us and our family, just like knowing the difference that, you know, between picking a single stock and being super risky with your money versus owning a little bit of every company. And so right. I try to really drill that into my students, like just to, to find out more, to have a thirst for knowledge and to not be satisfied with what you know today, but always mm -hmm. kind of just keep pushing yourself. And so that's something that has really stuck with me recently as a grown adult is to, to continue, you know, gaining more and more knowledge and, um, and, you know, the purpose of life to me is helping others. So just, you know, grow, grow my wealth. Yes. But how can I, you know, express this knowledge to other people so that they can also enjoy that. Right. Cause it's no fun right. getting to retirement by yourself and feeling like you're the only one that's prepared. You want everybody around you to feel that. And, yeah. and it just, it's, it's a game changer for every kind of stress in your life. With my mother's Absolutely. illness, imagine how much more stressful that would have been if I didn't feel like my finances were in order. Um, mm -hmm. It would have been detrimental to my marriage. It would, you know, a lot of things. Um, it's, money's not the answer to any everything, but it really helps with those stressful events in life when you're prepared. You have absolutely. a safety net. Absolutely, you're absolutely right, and I love that reflection of like. Oof, how grateful am I that like by the time the challenges in my life came my way uh, with, you know, my family's health and with issues, you know, related to, to taking care of your parents that you had by then figured out your finances, because it, it, there are many, many people that they at that point, they still haven't. And then the problems pile one on top of the other and create this massive anxiety around all the issues compiling up. Uh, at once versus you kind of having figured this one out, clearing that one out. And then, you know, another one comes along. It's like, okay, well you, now you have the space and the clarity of mind to address that problem rather than thinking about all the problems piled up in one big giant problem. It just, it's just so much less stress. So I, I, I definitely do um, think that that like your reflection resonates with me in terms of that. Like I, I want to be able to knock problems out of my life little by little so that by the time big ones come along, I'm not stressing about previous problems that I could have, you know, could have had handled already, but I just didn't for whatever reason. 
Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a, that's why I'm such an advocate for financial health, because I do think it correlates exactly with, with mental health and, um, and physical health. And, um, it's just, they kind of just all go hand in hand. Right. I mean, we have to take care of our entire self, (laughs) um, or else, you know, things can get out of whack. Absolutely. I definitely see the links between all of those every day. I'm like, Oh, you know what, having access to more money has helped me with my physical health, has helped me with my mental health. I I recognize those connections now more than ever because, you know, when you don't have access to one or two or three of those, it's hard for you to see how they connect to each other because some of those links are missing. Um, But once you do get it together, you really see how it's like a pyramid and the base of a lot of these things tends to be your mental health first. And then, you know, kind of adding all right, how can I, if my mind is right, I can tackle learning about money. I can tackle, you know, having a conversation with my partner about money. I can, you know, devote time to reading and learning about my 401k, but, but if the mental health isn't right. So, so a lot of times it's like, you think about, okay, how can I prioritize the things that are going to help me to then tackle the other ones? But, and for everybody, it might be a little different actually, but I, I do tend to think that a lot of times we have to clear up that mental health first, make sure you're good. My, your mind is ready to really tackle thinking about some of these other um, parts of your whole holistic health, um, you know, thinking about it that way. And that's so another I, I, thing I tell, I, sorry, I, I tell no, the kids is if you guys are able to save, if you're able to invest, consider that a privilege, right? Your yes. parents may not have been able to do that. Um, even some, some students, you know, they might go through the whole day hungry. They, they're not going to be thinking about investing. So take care of those physical needs. And if you are able, if you're good, you have food in your belly, you have a somewhat clear mind, that's a privilege. And you, and you have a responsibility to you, to your family, to those that came before you and those that come after you to do this, right? We can no longer, once you're aware, um, you can no longer ignore that. We, we have a responsibility to bring our community forward and to continue, um, to do this, but, you know, not to, not to, um, you know, pretend that physical and mental health is not a problem because we do have to address that before we can do that but but we those of us that can do it we're privileged we're in a position of privilege and we need to take advantage of that yeah absolutely I mean when we think about pursuing our financial dreams and our financial goals that a lot of that can actually be considered self-actualization which is the highest at the top of the pyramid on Maslow's hierarchy and and the 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 bottom most one is physical, physiological and safety, right? So like food, water, the things you said, if if your belly is grumbling and you, how the heck are you gonna be able to think about actualizing your wealth building goals? Like you can't, you're you're hungry. And so I absolutely agree with that. And I think we we don't often spend enough time talking about Maslow's in school. And I think that's such a key to helping students understand like, okay, how do I prioritize my needs and and my wants and think about all this stuff? Let me, you know, kind of think about where they fall on this spectrum. And that helps you to know what matters most right now what's urgent and then what can kind of come later yes yeah well this has been a beautiful conversation thank you so much for making time to talk to me thank you um the last two things that I like to end the show with one is obviously where can folks follow you support your work um you know kind of learn more about what you're doing in, in terms of education in California and then the second thing is uh, leaving folks with a money motto or money mantra that they can take with them after listening to this episode or watching it on YouTube that really helps them 
you know, to kind of navigate those tough financial moments where you're kind of tempted and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, and, and this money mantra or money model can really kind of help them just snap back into shape and help them, you know, stick to uh, the right financial pathway that they uh, have, you know, set out to follow for themselves. Yeah, well, I wanted to thank you very much for the opportunity of sharing a little bit about my job and, and my vision. Um, I did create an Instagram account mostly for my students because I do feel that once you leave the classroom, you need some sort of follow-up, right? I mean, this is yeah. this is how we get the ball rolling is to have a community conversation about it. Have somebody check in on you every, hey, how are you doing? Did you start that 401k? Whatever, having that dialogue with students and having somebody follow up. So I started a, an Instagram account for my students that graduate from my class and it's called Nuestra Fortuna because um, I, I'll, I'll send you the information, but it's, it's called Nuestra Fortuna because I do think that there's this, this untapped fortune of knowledge and, and financial potential that we have as Latinos and, and just everybody. I don't only teach Latinos, but you know, yeah. um, Nuestra Fortuna is something that rang out to me like, tenemos que conocer lo que tenemos and we have to That's kind of right. know what we have and know how to grow mm -hmm. it. So, um, so I have that set up. Um, I, love that. I like to just post, you know, different people that I follow things that sometimes I teach them just something basic, like, Hey guys, this is how you check your net worth. And this is why we check our net worth and, and things like that. So you can yeah. follow me there. Um, and my mantra, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and quote JL Collins. Uh, he's, he wrote my favorite book, Simple love Path to Wealth. Yeah, I, I think when, that's like if you read that book, it's kind of like your your adopt your you know your your first step into the financial world. That's like a great book to kind of get you started. But yes. um, I think he said, "Spend less than what you earn, invest the rest." And so that's just something I like to keep it simple. I mean, if you're gonna if you spend less than what you earn and do something with that little extra, that's the main thing that you need to learn out of this. Um, yeah. And, and so that's something that I always think of. And um, I think there was one more, <laughs> sorry if you don't mind. There's one no, that I wrote. No, go ahead. Si, si quieres algo que nunca tuviste, debes hacer algo que nunca hiciste. So mm. that's basically like, if you, you know, to translate, if there's, if there's something that you've never had, you're gonna have to do something that you've never done to get that. So whether that be, you know, live somewhere less expensive, pick up a side hustle, network with people. You got to push yourself out of your comfort zone to get to those goals that, that you, those visions that you have, you got to take that first step. And so that's, that's so um, true. I love that one. It, it reminds me of um, like the definition of the word insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. It's like, if you want a different outcome, you have to do something different that you haven't done before. That's the only way. Otherwise, you are the definition of insane. Thinking that doing the same thing is somehow going to magically get you a different result. Like it just, yeah. it doesn't make sense. And so I, I, I love that one in Spanish. I'm going to put that one on the dollar that I used to yeah. advertise. I didn't on. create that. I didn't create that one. It's just one that I've heard all my yeah. life. And so, and so, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that one floating around, but I do think that it, particularly in the context of personal finance, it can be a very powerful message. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. This was amazing. I'm so glad we got to connect on a one and we'll definitely stay connected in terms of education work and all the amazing things you're working on. Um, I'll let you know once this is live and everything so you can share it with your community and your students, of course. Um, and yeah, have an amazing rest of the week and, and weekend coming up. Okay. Thank you, Yaneli. Have a great thank day. Thank you.